makes us laugh. Um, it's like my favorite thing to do. Um, and I tried and tried and tried to think of something, somewhere to do that this morning and I couldn't come up with one. Because um, the text today is one that I have uh, previously described as suckish. Oh, oh it did, we did laugh, okay. <laughs> that's the first time I've laughed about it this week, so that's fine. I think I had this secret hope when I was going to seminary that, um, that the experience there would make me feel capable of tackling like any passage of scripture with some sort of assurance. That when I encountered texts that have been challenging in the past, I would have new tools to say, uh, this is really what's going on here. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. And um, what I did learn, though, is that the way these texts sit with us and the way we interpret them will probably always be evolving. Um, and I learned that I will probably always struggle with some texts. And I learned that I'm in good company <laughs> doing that and that it's okay. And I imagine many of us have passages of scripture that are hard for us for some reason or another. And so I hope you also all will feel okay when you come across something that stays hard for you. I know that I've also joked often about Paul and my many feelings about him and how I vacillate between thinking he's mostly a big old jerk and also that he has some really important things to say. And when we opened this unit several weeks ago, I mentioned that I really loved the way Paul opened his letter to the Ephesians, but that we would come to passages in his letter that were more challenging to consider. And today, we're there, at least for me. And despite knowing that it was coming, and even agreeing to teach this morning on this passage, I just like sat for a really long time and a lot of feelings this week before I could work on it. And even then, even in this moment, <laughs> I still have those feelings. And I thought about choosing a simple direction to go. There's certainly like old teachings that I've heard from today's scripture that, that would have been pretty easy. Um, but instead, I'm breaking one of my professor's rules and sharing probably a little bit too much about myself and what I'm bringing to the text in the end. Um, but it felt a little like lying not to do that. Um, yeah, and that like the heaviness of that just kept sitting, so it felt like it had to be addressed. So while today I'm certainly not going to share with you anything um, like incredible, I think, and, and new about what's happening in this passage, I am inviting you to struggle with me a little bit because I do think there is good news in today's text and also it's one that reminds us how scripture has not been good news for a really long time for a lot of people. It's a passage I think many of us are familiar with, a verse that lives on many a daily prayer calendars. Um, and it's one I think that has just been taken at face value, inter interpreted literally, uh, most often because that's what's been easiest um, and that's where I think it got kind of lost and messed up along the way so if you will turn to Ephesians 4 with me verses 17 through 32 if you're using a Bible app I'm reading from the NRSV version but you can choose the version that you like the best 
verse 17. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ, for surely you have learned about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as god in christ has forgiven you this is the word of the lord so over the last few weeks we've been reading about paul's excitement about who we are in christ about our identities as Christ-bearers, understanding our bodies as ways to know God better, as ways to continue even to learn about how God moves in the world. And in this passage, we move on to what that really means to Paul. He begins to define what it looks like to him to be people of Christ. And Paul begins by saying, because we are no longer the people we were, people that were closed off to God, we are... Sorry, people without Christ in our hearts, we simply cannot live in such a way that one does when their heart is closed off to God. We are new beings. He uses rather harsh language in some translations here that our old selves are indeed dead. He draws a distinction between those that have accepted their new lives with God and the Gentiles. And when he says Gentiles, he means those that have not learned from Jesus or accepted the one true God, but nations, rather, that still worship multiple gods or are atheists. And he paints this really stark contrast between those people and us, I suppose, that have opened our hearts to God. Paul says that they are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Because they have not opened their minds and hearts to Christ, they remain separate. The Greek word translated to alienated here, that I will not try to pronounce, also translates to excluded from. It's a repercussion of their active decision to not follow Christ, not to allow Christ to reside in them. They cannot experience the love of God because they have chosen to exclude God from their lives. 
And the result is lives of licentiousness. They don't live lives, they don't just live lives of impurity, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul's use of licentiousness in this passage implies this really over-the-top, really braggadocious way of life. They're, these folks are not only sinning, they know they are sinning, and they are just living it up big time. And while I was tempted to just kind of skirt over <laughs> this passage, I like want to take a moment to grapple with his language here. The Greek word that he uses for impurity is akatharsia. And in almost every passage that is used in scripture, it relates to sexual immorality. And one of the reasons this passage finds its way commonly into arguments about what constitutes biblical sexuality. And while there are a ton of ways this passage has been handled by a lot of different folks, many have gone about passages like this in kind of an apologetic way. They pull out the Greek word and find ways to prove how it has been translated out of context and try and say, this is what Paul really meant. <sighs> like, trying to say, like, what we see today in queer relationships is not what actually Paul is talking about in this passage. And that's one way to go about that text. Like, that's a, that's a perfectly acceptable way and maybe important in some contexts, especially for those that are working through that concept themselves. And if that's somebody that is here today, I'd love to chat with you further about that. But I'm not actually going to do that today um, because I, I just don't have room for theology anymore that is founded on the question of whether somebody belongs in the kingdom of God. rather that our place, everyone's place, is in the kingdom of God. And that the presence of Christ in our hearts, according to Paul, proves, provides us with wisdom that we would otherwise be ignorant of. And that when we are in tune with God, we are sacred and holy beings. All of us. There are certainly problematic sexual immoralities <laughs> present in the world, rape, sexual slavery, when sex is used with greed and power and a life without the presence of Christ, without the knowledge of how our bodies can and should be used to love. Without that knowledge, our bodies can be used for something horrible. But when we are no longer apart from God, we become aware of how our bodies are good and instruments of love. Paul continues with what we should do when we're aware, finally, of that righteousness and holiness. In verse 25, he says, we have to put away falsehood. We cannot lie to, get to each other. Not we should not, but we cannot lie to each other because we are a part of each other. And then the next part that I think has been ruined, kind of with literal interpretation. Oh, dog. Okay. He says, be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
Do not make room for the devil. And I feel like we hear the second part of that all the time. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed angry. Like, don't be mad at your parents or your partner or your kids. But not the first part. Be angry. (laughs) And I think when we hear that all the time, we learn that we're not to not to feel this emotion, anger. But I think the following verses imply Paul is talking about bigger things. He says that we should not let evil come from our mouths. We shouldn't just learn that anger is bad or wrong, even though that this particular stri- even though this particular scripture I think has been used to teach us that. But think about the way Paul makes a distingu- distinction between anger and sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Our righteous and holy selves can and should feel anger. It's not the anger itself that is sinful. He says thieves shouldn't go on stealing, but rather let them work so they can share with the needy. When Paul says to put away anger, he ties it to malice, bitterness, and slander, Perhaps instead of yelling at those that we see doing wrong or what we believe is wrong, we could use our anger to create new ways for them to be included. Our anger can clue us in, perhaps, to where injustice is. But when anger is combined with sins like wrath and malice, our anger can become something that doesn't mirror God. Nothing good comes from anger that is left to fester. I think that is true. Anger that is slept on. But when we notice anger is present, we have to be honest about it. We cannot become apathetic to that kind of anger because that is anger that can move us, these bodies full of Christ, to continue creating the kingdom. Lastly, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. One last sentence that has found its way onto many decorative signs in Hobby Lobby probably, (laughs) but maybe taken too quickly to simply mean move on from disputes. The Christ-like way is to just be nice. And my poor friends have sat through so many rants (laughs) where I talk about the harmful nature of niceness. I think that when this verse is just um, watered down to value niceness and misunderstand what kindness is, I think that's when we end up falling asleep to anger. That's when we have sayings like all lives matter and love the sinner, hate the sin, because they make us more comfortable for people. They can, people can say those things, we can say those things and smile around people that are different from us, that maybe we don't understand. And then we're not at all made to attempt even to see God in the image of someone else. Rather, I think Paul's use of kind here in the same passage, right after he says we should be angry, implies perhaps how we could approach anger. Not with sin, like bitterness and slander, but perhaps our anger can and is followed by kindness. 
and forgiveness. That is when our anger can be righteous, when it does good, and when others are included in the kingdom. Because our anger has moved the boundaries further outward, we can also be kind to those who maybe originally held the boundaries in place. Both emotions can live with us. A quick and maybe silly example. A few days ago, I was in um, a CVS pharmacy, and a man was inquiring to the pharmacist about getting the, the COVID vaccine. And in that, in he, in like after a couple of minutes, he was like, yeah, I'll get it. And I was like, by the like lotion, like, yeah, okay. And I like was like overcome. I wanted to like applaud this man and like go up and give him a hug for deciding to get this vaccine. And then I thought, only yesterday, if I had talked to this man, I might feel such anger <laughs> towards him by knowing that he had, until this moment, not decided to be vaccinated. And then I thought, well, perhaps that anger, not mine, because I didn't know who this person was, but someone's, fueled conversations about how being vaccinated is an incredible way to love our neighbors. And that somehow, at some point, hit this man in such a way that he ended up in that CVS pharmacy. And my experience of him in that moment was, without hesitation, gratitude. And while I didn't hug him, because we can't hug people in global pandemics, and maybe you shouldn't randomly hug people in CVS anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I felt something that wasn't anger, even though I would have felt anger maybe encountering him only a day before. I think both anger and kindness can live together. It's, it's probably not that simple. And maybe, it, maybe that example is simple. Maybe it won't always be simple. Maybe the simplicity of it is really complex. I don't know. In the end, friends, I think Paul is saying one thing very clearly, even if it's been muddied over time and perhaps even more so by me today. But I think that thing is that living with the presence of Christ fills us up. It lets us understand ourselves as whole and holy without a need to fill up on things outside of goodness. That the fullness of Christ is feeling the whole spectrum of emotions, anger to forgiveness. And that's what moves us, what obliterates the boundaries of the family of God to include more and more people every day. And because that has already been done for us, it is what we are called to do for others. Amen. Okay.